Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. How many of you know that we live in an unforgiving world? Don't we? Ask Ed Ogeron. Ask Irving Meyer. Ask Bill Clinton. Ask Monica Lewinsky. Ask Edwin Edwards. We live in an unforgiving world, don't we? Okay, you're taking a long time. You know how this works. I draw you into a trap. You fall into it. And then I share my message. I'm doing my part. You're dragging on your part. We live in an unforgiving world, don't we? And you know what's amazing about that? We live in a fallen world. You know what that means? That means that on your best day, you fall short. Ever since the garden and Adam and Eve, all of, on my best day, being the best Christian I can be, I could fall short. Being the best husband I can be. How, how many of you have ever been just blindsided when you were doing something for your wife you thought was a blessing, and then she lets you know after a month it had been aggravating her the whole time you did it? Like, Michelle is a clean freak and I'm a neat freak. So it's a good combination. Unless they cross each other. So she'll leave something somewhere and I'll think that's left there, but that's not where it belongs. So then I will pick it up and I will take it. And it's amazing because I'm thinking I'm blessing her. And like a month later, she'll go, would you stop moving that? Like, baby, I didn't, I mean, come on. Brown lives matter too. <laughs> I mean, come on, show me some love. <laughs> I thought I was being a blessing in the wild. I was aggravating her the whole time and didn't even know it. Has anybody ever experienced anything like that in your marriage? Okay, those of you that aren't married, shut up, you don't know anything. And so, so we, we live in a fallen world. So isn't it tragic that we live in a world that's not forgiving when... At best, all of us, the best we can do is going to come short. God said that when he said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody on your best effort, you fall short. So it's tragic that we live in a world that's unforgiving when every one of us are going to fall short. How many of you are glad we're going to get real personal? that they didn't have video phones when you were in high school and college. Come on. There are some women 60 to 80 years old that wore hot pants. Don't raise your hand. You will scar your pastor. Can you imagine if they would have had video phones? And your kids, Mama, that's you? Halt the top, Really? Daddy, what you was thinking? Papa, that's you? No, that's not you. No, there's a lot of Boudreaux's, you know. And there's, there's a lot of Bill Boudreaux's. That was just another one. Looked kind of like me. Distant relative from Gator. 
We live in an unforgiving world, and I know that all of us are grateful. How would you like me to come and say, today, I'm going to share a sermon that's going to be very personal and very close to your heart, and all of a sudden, we throw up on the screen all your high school and college days. You know what some of you do? This actually happened. There was a great pastor here, dear friends, was very encouraging to me for years. His name is Pastor Francis Martin, Family Life Church. How many of you ever knew Pastor Francis, Family Life? Well, they used to have a Wednesday night. He was a great Bible teacher. And on Wednesday night, they were doing a Bible study. And so one time they started to show up a video. Somehow the videos got crossed up. And someone put the video of his daughter having a baby. Like with no covers video. And as soon as that came up on the screen, he jumped up in front of the camera and went, no! His daughter started going to the Mormon church. No, it's not true. But, but that, actually, that actually happened. Isn't that what you'd do if we showed the worst of you up here? Well, wouldn't you do that? We live in an unforgiving world and we have to live with people and we all fall short So the greatest commodity we need is, say it loud, forgiveness. Forgiveness. C.S. Lewis's best friend was J.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings. For those of you who know anything about the historic colleges they came from, one was at Cambridge and the other one was at Oxford, and they were professors of literature. C.S. Lewis was an atheist, and J.R. Tolkien began to challenge him, and it led to a remarkable conversion in someone, C.S. Lewis, who would put Christ in everything that he ever wrote and would become the greatest apologetist of his lifetime, defending the Christian faith. One day, C.S. Lewis walked into a debate late. He was notoriously late, and, and at the debate, they were all asking all of these heads of different religions, Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, all of these different religions, Jewish what the uniqueness was about their religion. And so C.S. Lewis came late and he sat down and they said, Dr. Lewis, you're late as usual. We've already asked the first question. I want to ask you, what is the uniqueness of your religion, Christianity? And on his way, just sitting down, he was, oh, that's easy. Grace. Grace. Say it with me, Grace. G-R-A-C-E. Come on. Let's go. Let's spell that together. Come on, somebody from Como. Okay, do we have to go to St. Thomas More and Ascension to get out? Here we go. Okay, G-R-A-C-E. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. You see, in the Jewish religion, there's over 500 laws you must obey to be righteous. And I can tell you right now, nobody here would be a good Jew. Nobody. You wouldn't get past the book of Deuteronomy. That's where the laws are. Okay, Leviticus, that's where the laws are. Do do you know what? Let me give you just a few. Let me see if you could be a good Jew. Do not eat any crawfish. How many of you, you you wouldn't be Jewish anymore? Okay. 
No shrimp. Crabs. Okay, y'all are so far lost in hell now as a Jew. You know, okay. There were 500 laws of Moses you had to obey. The first was dietary laws. Then there was the way you dressed. And if you touched a dead body, you couldn't go to the temple. You had to be ceremoniously cleansed. Here's another one. Okay, karma. How many of you are familiar with karma? You know, karma, 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 chameleon. That was boy George, and that's another message for a long time ago that I'll spare you of. But karma simply means that whatever you do here, it begins a cycle of, and you have to pay for it in the next life. So right now in India, there are millions of people that are starving, and there are cows walking around everywhere. Do you know why they don't eat them? Because they think that somebody in their previous life who did something that then came back as we'd be looking at them going ribeye tonight. Okay. They don't, they look at it and go, no, 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 that, that, that's someone paying for their sins. It's kind of a, a, a purgatory. It's kind of a place between heaven and hell where you pay for your sins. How I many, you know, what purgatory is. It's not your husband. Purgatory is a place where you go and you pay for your sins until they pray you out of there and then pray you into. So in each of these religions, you have to go and you have to do something to pay for your sin. You have to die to pay for your sin. Christianity is the only religion where our God came and died for our sin. One old writer said it like this. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, all day long. Jesus Christ, he washed my sins away. He washed my sins away. Forgiveness It's a direct result of the grace of God that what I should have paid for, he did. That he went to the cross and laid down all of his righteousness to pick up my sin so that I could go to that same cross and lay down all of my sin and pick up his righteousness. That is the heart of Christianity. Jesus paid for what we deserve. Now, back to the subject. So, so, We love people. How many of you love your children? How many of you have seriously thought about taking their lives? How many of you didn't mean it, but you said you would like to kill them? Don't lie. You're in church. If you lie in church, you go straight to hell. Of course. People are the biggest pleasure and the biggest pain in life, aren't they? Probably one of the greatest honors people have ever given me is to be called to the bedside of a loved one that was about to pass. I remember years ago, uh, this is back before cell phones, one of, one of my dear friends who's truly helped our Savior's church called me and he said, he said, Pastor, he said, my brother's an alcoholic. He said, they found him in an alcoholic coma. He's near death. They rushed him to, to, 
to, to charity hospital, to university hospital, would you go and lead him to the Lord? So I went in, I got there to university hospital and, and, and went in. His whole face was wrapped up around here and tubes everywhere. And, and I identified myself as who I was and told him how I knew him, that I was his brother's pastor. And then I asked him, do you want to give your life to Jesus and be forgiven and know God? I said, if you do squeeze my hand. So he squeezed my hand and I prayed with him. I said, just repeat this in your mind because I know you can't talk and then squeeze my hand if you do it. So he did each step along the way. And so I went back to the pay phone right there at uh, University Charity Hospital. And I picked up the phone. I called my friend. I said, hey, I led him to the Lord. He said, go back and do it again. <laughs> so I went back inside and I said, it's me again. Your brother said, I got to really make sure this happened. And we prayed again. And this time, tears came from underneath the bandages. I was with that man's mama when he passed. Father, when he passed. Probably the greatest privilege I've ever had is being with people, loved ones, when they go home. For those that die knowing Christ, it is one of the most amazing experiences of your life. Kind of like that moment when the baby is born and, and you don't know. It just goes, and they go, and then they do that for the next 20 years. It's kind of like that miraculous moment. And I've been with some people that didn't have peace with God. And that is horrible. That is horrible. But do you know what people want in those last moments? When, when, when they are preparing to go into eternity, do you know what they want? How many think that they had their financial advisor next to them? What's the stock market doing? What's my 401k? I wanted to know that right before I go out. I want to know. Do you think they wanted that? Do you think they wanted pictures of their houses or their boats or the camp? You know what every one of them wanted? Where's my sister? Where's my son? Where's my husband? Where's my wife? Where's my best friend? Oh, my aunt. Every one of them wanted people. So here's the dilemma. We have to live with people. But they are imperfect and they are faulty and they are frail. And on their best day, just like you and me, we are all going to fall short. So how do you live with imperfect people who are going to hurt you and disappoint you? The only way and this book teaches us, the creator teaches us, is through forgiveness. It, it, it's the only way. You see, the quality of your life is determined by how you resolve conflict. And that always comes in the realm of relationships. Of relationships. Jesus is speaking to this subject. And you have to remember Jesus' perspective versus ours. Yes, he was God. But there's only one person that ever came to earth that came from heaven. We started off here on earth and we hope to one day go to heaven. But there's only one person that came from heaven that could tell us what heaven was like. 
How many of you got friends that never been to South Louisiana? You ever explain to them what it's like? We got bad roads. Some we hunt ducks in. <laughs> you, you try to explain to them, correct? So Jesus tells us what heaven's like as someone who was there. And when he says the kingdom of heaven is like, it's like, hey, let me tell you what it was like here. And I want to give you an experience of what it's like here. If I was going to bring that example to here. And that's what he's about to do on the subject of forgiveness. Listen to what he says in Matthew 18, 15. If your fellow believer sins against you, you must go to that one. What's the word say? Say it loud privately and attempt to resolve the matter. If he responds, your relationship is, the goal is always restoration. It's always restoration. But if his heart is closed to you, then you will go to, you then go to him again, taking one or two others with you to fulfill the scripture that teaches saying that every word may be verified by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen, then share it with the congregation and Pastor Jacob will tell everybody on Sunday morning. If he refuses to respond even at the church, then you must disregard him as though he were an outsider at the same level as you would an unrepentant sinner. Now, some translation says treat him like a tax collector and that really makes me feel good to know that the IRS even had a bad name in the Bible. <laughs> and now Jesus is going to wrap this up. And surmise it. Here it is. Receive this truth. Whatever you forbid will be considered forbidden. Now, where did he come from? Where did Jesus come from? What is he telling us? Where is he telling this story? On? On earth. And whatever you release on will be considered released in. And now he's going to say it again. Again, I give you an eternal truth. If two of you agree to ask God for something in a symphony of prayer, my heavenly father will do it for you. For where two or three come together in honor of my name, I am right there with them. Jesus is telling you heaven's perspective of unity and heaven's perspective of division. He's telling us that it not only affects on earth, but it does something in heaven. What is Jesus telling us on how to resolve conflict? Number one, he says, if someone sins against you, talk to them before you talk to anybody else. You know why? Because when someone wrongs you, you want to pick up. Let me tell you, do you know what they did to me? Let me tell you something. I can't even believe I let them say that. I should have responded back then. And then they go, really? Well, why didn't you tell them this? You're right. Next time I'm going to do that. And let me tell you something. If they ever told me that, let me tell you what I would do. That's right. And then I would cut them off. That's right. And then I would. The temptation is to go and talk to somebody before we ever talk to God or to that other person. Can I tell you what's so bad about this? Can I tell you what's bad about this? Here's, what bad, here's what's bad about this. Okay. Austin and Mallory are very close. Joseph and Rochelle's best friends. Their daughter's going to marry John Wesley. If your business is prosper enough at that moment. We'll just decide that later. Okay. Suppose they had something. Okay with Joseph and Rochelle. Let me give you a better example. How many have ever been with a couple when they had an argument? How many have ever been at dinner with a couple when they had an argument? Is that kind of awkward? 
and you kind of go like, ah, I don't think I want dessert. Listen, God bless y'all. See you later. And you leave there and you look at your wife and go, that was awkward. I mean, God. And in your mind, you're left with that snapshot of them arguing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so now you leave. Two weeks later, you see them at the mall. Hey, how y'all doing? They're holding hands and you're going, what happened to y'all? It's amazing how God can give you grace to forgive a person that offended you, but he doesn't give you grace to forgive someone who offended somebody you love. And the longer you hold on to it, second party hurt is terrible. You know when somebody wronged your child, your child goes, oh, I forgave him. You forgave him. How about me? Second party offense. That's why you don't share that because you're taking in poison and now you're going to throw it up on somebody you love. Jesus did something so powerful. I didn't say this in the other service. So powerful. When Jesus was on the cross, how many have ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ? They took and they put like a long pole and they dipped it in a wine that was like a sedative, a tranquilizer. And they put it up for him to drink it. That's like morphine if you're suffering. It was called the gall of bitterness. And when Jesus they touched it to his lips. You know what he did? What did he do? He spit it out. Because when you're hurt, it seems so sweet to swallow it. It seems like it's a tranquilizer to you, but it's not. It's not. It's not. Even though you want to swallow it, and the more you share it, the worse it becomes. Here's the second thing Jesus is saying. If it doesn't go well when you try to go to that person and make it right, bring a mutually respected person. Go to the church. If there's no reconciliation, go to the church. Go to someone you mutually respect, then go to the church. Here's the fourth thing. If they still will not listen to God, God's word, and godly counsel, then you're not obligated to do anymore. You've done all that God expects you to do. Draw a boundary. Draw a boundary. Here's what else Jesus says. Number five, disunity is noticed in heaven. Look what Matthew 18, 10 says, same passage. Beware that you do not look down on any of these little ones, Jesus says, talking about people. For I tell you that in heaven there, angels are always in the presence of my heavenly father. Do you know that the moment you're born again, you have an angel that's assigned to you? How many of you have done some stupid stuff since you've been a Christian? Raise your hand. When you get there, your angel's going to come up on a crutch, broke wings, <laughs> probably hit you over the head with that crutch. Their angels are looking at the Father. The Father knows. The Father's countenance changes. And then he says, unity attracts the presence of God. If you will agree together, in Matthew 18, 19, 20, it says, and again, I tell you an eternal truth. If two of you agree and ask God for something in a symphony of prayer, my Father will do it for you. Here's what disunity does. 
But here's what unity does as well. Now, let me ask the obvious question. So, Pastor, what do you do with people that are always offending you? Does anyone have someone like that in there? Don't point. Just raise your hand high. Okay. Is anyone married to someone like that? Don't raise your hand. Do any of you have children like that? Don't raise your hand. Do you work for someone like that? Don't raise your hand. Are you related outside of your family to someone like that? Don't raise your hand. What's the answer, though, to all of those questions? Yes. So how many times should I forgive somebody who keeps offending me? You're not the first person to ask that question. Listen, Jesus says this, and then Peter, how many of you love Peter? Every time I get discouraged as a Christian, I read about Peter, and I feel so much better about myself. He denied Jesus. Three weeks later, he preached a message, and 3,000 people got saved. I wouldn't understand half of the Bible, the things Jesus said, if it wasn't for Peter. He, Jesus would say something, Peter would go, what does that mean? And Jesus would explain it to him so we could all understand. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to him. said, Lord, you're talking about all this forgiveness, just giving forgiveness away to everybody. How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How about... Now... You, you and I look at that and we go, well, pfft, that's a dumb answer. Do you know what the Jewish law said that they lived by? Three times. You only required three. He gave three, doubled it, and put up. So he said seven. Seven. He said seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but up to... Okay, do we have any graduates of Lafayette High School in the house? Okay, the gifted program. What is 70 times seven? Okay, let me get somebody from STM or Ascension. What is 70 times seven? 490. Did Jesus mean 490 times? Because if he did, every man in here would be in trouble because your wife would have a chart. You got 10 left, buddy. Jesus said himself, I got it right here in the book. You got 10 left. What was Jesus saying? Look at me. He's saying, if you're counting, you're not forgiving. If you're counting, that's the third time you did that. That's the ninth time they did that to me. If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. You do me wrong once, shame on me. You do me wrong twice. Shame on you. All of these things that we create as mantras in a fallen world, yet all the while we ourselves need forgiveness. Jesus is saying, you have to keep forgiving every time. I know what some of you are saying. I know. I'm done, Pastor. There's nothing there left to give. There's Paul Call. I don't even know what that is, but Michelle's grandmother used to say that all the time. <laughs> There's Paul Call left. I think that means nothing left. And this opens up the door to Jesus giving us the greatest story he ever told about forgiveness that is not him hanging on the cross, which was told by the apostles.
Matthew 18, 23. Jesus says the lesson on forgiveness, Peter, in heaven's kingdom realm is like this. There was once a king who had servants who had borrowed money from his royal treasury. He decided to settle accounts with them, and he began to process. It became to his attention that one of the servants owed him how much? A billion dollars. He summoned the servant before him and said, pay me what you owe me. When his servant was unable to repay the debt, the king ordered that he be sold as a, along with his, and his, and every possession he owned as payment toward his debt. The servant threw himself face down at the mercy, at his master's feet and begged for mercy. Please be and give me more time. I will repay all that I owe. What are the chances of him repaying a billion dollars? Answer? Probably not very good. Upon hearing the pleas, the king had compassion on the servant and released him and forgave the entire debt. No sooner the servant left that he met one of the other fellow servants who owed him $20,000. Do you think there's a chance you could earn $20,000? In a month, a year? Of course. And he seized him by the throat and began to choke him, saying, I'm on the forgiven tour and you're my first victim. And he began to choke him, saying, you better pay me right now everything that you owe me. And his fellow servant threw himself face down on his feet, and he begged, please be patient with me and give me time, and I'll repay all that's owed. Does that sound familiar? It's exactly what he said. But the one who had his debt forgiven, read this with me, stubbornly. You know what that tells me? That he knew what he should do. He just stubbornly refused to do it. He refused to forgive what was owed him. And he had his fellow servant thrown into and demanded that he remain there until he repaid the debt in full. When his friends heard about what was going on, they were outraged. They went to the king and they told him the whole story. The king said to him, bring him here. You scoundrel. Is this the way you respond to my? Because you begged me. I forgave you the massive debt that you owed me. Why didn't you show the same mercy to your fellow servant that I showed to you? In anger, the king turned him over to the prison guards to be tortured until all his debt was. Now here is the scariest, one of the two or three scariest verses in the whole Bible. I've been reading the Bible 48 years. Here's one of the scariest verses in the whole Bible. In this same, my will deal with you if any of you do not from your heart toward the heart of your fellow believers. Well, what is Jesus saying here? In the last five minutes, let me tell you, number one, unforgiveness never just affects you. His wife and children were going to be thrown in. 
You see, sometimes when you hold on to hatred and bitterness and unforgiveness, you think that's just between you and the other person. You're wrong. It affects everybody in your life. It affects the people you like and the people you don't like. It affects the people you love and the people you hate. Here's the second thing. Unforgiveness distorts your perspective. How in the world could a man who had been forgiven a billion dollars leave that place and go find somebody who owed him 20000 You know why? Because what was obvious to everybody else was not obvious to him. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, why do you see the log in your brother's eye, but you don't see the splinter in your own eye? Imagine, how many of you have ever had something in your eye? Did it distort the way you saw? Imagine a log in your eye. If a log was in your eye, what was obvious to everybody else, you would be blinded to. What was obvious to his friends, I can't believe he won't forgive. What was obvious to his friends, he was blinded to because of offense. He began to see everyone through the eyes of his offense. Oh, I know. All men are alike. All men, all they want is one thing. All women, all they want is one thing. Every business, all they care about is just walking on people for problems. They see it through the eye of their offense. They see it through the eye of their offense. And you blame others and you drag others because you don't realize that you're blinded by your offense to what's obvious to everybody else. Number three, when you imprison others through unforgiveness, you also imprison the moment he threw him in jail for $20,000, the jail cell was being unlocked to throw him in for a billion. Number four, he was turned over to the tormentors. Unforgiveness will torture you. It will torture you. You know what the word resentment means? It means to relive. If someone hurts you, do you want to take them around with you so that they can repeat everything that they've done from the time that it happened the first time? You're tormented by bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment. It will torture you. You'll lay in bed at night having conversations with that person. It will torture you. Number five, holding unforgiveness requires God to turn you over to the tormentors until you release them and yourself. When I won't forgive, I drink poison and wait for the person I'm mad at to die. When I won't forgive, I drink poison and wait for the person I'm mad at to die. Someone said forgiveness is giving up the right to hurt you for hurting me. Someone else said anytime you won't forgive, you dig a grave for two. One for the one you won't forgive and the other one for you. When I refuse to forgive, I burn the bridge that I must daily cross to God. You see, we've all grew up paying that good Catholic prayer you prayed. 
our Father. Remember this part? And forgive us our as we forgive those who trespass against us. The Passion Translation says, forgive us the wrongs that we have done as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. I don't forgive others because of what they've done to me. I don't forgive others because of they deserve it. I forgive others because of what Christ has done in me and for me and through me when I deserve none of it. I know, I know. Pastor, you don't know what they did to me. If you were molested, if you were broke up, if you were talked about, if you got stolen from, if you, look at me. I understand. I can't give anymore. They've taken it all out of me, Pastor. There's nothing left to give. It's true. Why does God put you in a fallen world with fallen people and tell you to love them and build a relationship with them when there's just so much we can give. Can I tell you why? Watch. Because each time you do that, it draws you back to the source of forgiveness. You see, God gave forgiveness to you so he could give forgiveness through you. when you reach the end of yourself that's by God's design you gotta go back to the source you gotta go back to the source you gotta go back to the source you know what's interesting I pastor people one man lost everything living to him in one day that mattered He lost his wife and children in one moment. I've walked with people that literally have walked through the most intense tragedies you could imagine. And you know what? They're as sweet as they can be. And I've walked with people that had a daddy that was mean or rough, or a mama that was unkind, and they live like bitter wells. And you look at what happened to them versus what happened to people that really lost a lot and have really been hurt a lot, and you go, what's the difference? It's very simple. They keep going back to the source for more, the source of life, and the others refuse to go back to it. You must stay near the source. God designed you that way. You can't live life without God. You can't be a good husband or wife without God. You can't be a good parent without God. You can't be a good neighbor without God because you will come to the end of yourself and you will always have to come back to the source over and over. So what do I do, Pastor? I'm going to have to go to the bathroom soon. What I do when I reach in, what I do. This is God's design, not the hurt. We live in a fallen world. Hurt happens because you live where you live in a fallen world. 
That's not a choice. What's a choice is whether you come back here every time you get empty. That's the choice. That's the choice. I forgive others because God has forgiven me. I forgive others because I deserve to be free. I deserve to be free. I forgive others because I have been forgiven of a billion dollars of sin. And when I reach the end of myself, I go to him and he gives new forgiveness to me so that it can go throw me to others. It is true when you say, I can't forgive, you are right. But he can throw you. Let me give you a last thought. I know I've gone over, but trust me, this is a whole lot better than anything Jameis Witnesses is going to do today. <laughs> or Drew Brees if he was there. Watch this. Here it is. Look at me. I wonder, why did that man go after he'd been forgiven so much and find someone who owed so little? And you know what this thought came to me? Maybe he thought even though his master did forgive him, he was going to still try to pay him back. Maybe he couldn't forgive himself. Maybe he couldn't forgive himself. Look at me. Today, the Holy Spirit is going to heal many of you. People don't know, but everywhere you go, you drag people around. You drag them around with you. Because when you don't forgive it, you relive it. When you forgive it, you leave them, you open up the jail cell for you and for them. So would you bow your head with me? I'm going to ask everyone to be still for about three or four minutes. Would you lay your hands on your lap with your palms open? Now I want you to clench your fist. Look up a moment so we'll all be, feel better about ourselves. How many of you needed this today? Anybody besides me need this today? Okay, good. All right. Keep your hands clenched. I want you to pray this out loud with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I am that man. You have forgiven me of so much. How could I not forgive others? Lord Jesus, today, I repent. Forgive me. Who am I to not forgive others when you've forgiven me of so much? Today, I come back to the source. Forgive me for holding on Forgive me for not forgiving myself. 
today. In the name of Jesus, I receive your cleansing for holding on to sin against others and myself today. In the powerful name of Jesus, I release and then under your breath, I want you to name the people. And as you do, I want you to open up your hands. Name them that you need to release. As long as God brings names to you, name them. Say it with me. I release them for what they've done to me, to those I love, and I release them. I place their sin at the same cross where my sin is. I forgive myself. I want you to take a deep breath. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come against the root of bitterness, the spirit of unforgiveness, and I break it. I break it off of every life, of every child of God. Forgiveness is the children's bread. It is the promise of the Word of God. And we release now the promise of the Word of God to be fulfilled in the heart of every one of your children. Now say this with me. I release them And as I'm forgiven of my sin, so they're forgiven of their sin against me and those I love. In Jesus' name.